Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Welcome to Psalms 
Joey Wallace. Bill Wallace. Gary Ward. Don Ward. Larry Ward. Yes, Larry Bender taking care of everything for us. Thank you, Larry. So let, let's just set this this these two weeks on the Psalms in the context of what we're doing. You know that we're being um, <laughs> let me get it out. We're being led this summer to be in prayer. So we've been given these. You know where have I got it? I got the this is the old version. Jean's got the newer one. Uh, a diary of private prayer. Pastor Phil Keener led us for two weeks in in utilizing this and, and appreciating the language. Before that we had two weeks on prayer 101 <laughs> from Debbie and remember Debbie wanted us to understand what we can gain by looking at Jesus prayer life. And so we looked at his teachings on prayer and we looked at him in prayer and uh, I know I came out of it saying boy, uh, Jesus needed time alone to pray hmm <coughs> Jesus needed time <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, Judy, right okay, think on that for a minute let's pause there <laughs> maybe like Pastor Braley uh, said maybe we don't need to say anything else <laughs> but that, that Jesus needed time alone so we, now we move from the um, the resource we've got from a general look at prayer and then a resource we've been given, thankfully, by this congregation, into two, actually four weeks on the Psalms. No, five, five weeks? Yeah, five weeks. Two weeks, Psalms 101. Then two weeks, we will have Psalm 23. That's Tara, uh, Pastor Fralick, Psalm 46. He's saying 23 times 2. I think that's Pastor Bailey. And Pastor Keener, you have two weeks in July, 14th and 21st, on the Psalms, right? In preparatory. One week. Oh, one week. Oh, then I'm wrong. Okay. So anyway, so we are now going to go forward into the idea of using the Psalms and how they can become part of our life together. And don't mind, I need to always put this as a separate Square uh, because those words on a couple of these slides the words are moving over. But you know, in the New Testament, Paul tells us, "Be filled with the Spirit." And it's at the top of your handout, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He didn't even say there, "Sing those." He said, "When you're getting together, start talking about some of those things you sing and you pray." Okay, so we—it's a good reminder. The psalms aren't only for the Old Testament people, for the Jewish people. They are our prayer book, our hymn book also. So, just briefly, our objectives are to introduce this book, introduce types of psalms, all the layout, all that kind of stuff that we're going to talk about, and then get into, use, especially next week, get into using the psalms to help us learn to pray scripture. My hope-for outcomes. (laughs) Educators always think like this. Okay, I hope we all will be encouraged to use these psalms. Like Pastor Frelick told us to go home and pray Psalm 16. If you haven't heard him yet, you'll hear him say that. For personal devotional prayer time. I hope that in looking at these psalms for five weeks, a a variety of psalms, we can learn to listen 
to God. Because if a prayer is a conversation, real talk with a real God, and I know, I know so many people who say, well, I pray, but I never hear God. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be bold enough to say, if you want to hear God in your prayer time, dive into his words. Let them become your words. And he will illumine. I am so confident of this. We don't need to hear a voice to have heard God. So I hope that will happen for us, to begin listening to God, and then just become familiar enough with this book of Psalms that we were ready to use it in corporate situations, in small groups, and in our personal lives. So with that, maybe we should pray together this psalm. So let's do this. May my cry come before you. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your law sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Amen. I hope you heard in that prayer, and these are the, the eight verses that end, and we'll talk about Psalm 119 later, but these are the eight verses that end Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about the sufficiency of God. There's only one verse in it, out of the whatever the how many were there, 176 verses that doesn't use one of now I can't remember six or eight I think it's six terms for God's law His promises His word um, it is all about coming to Him and I hope you heard as we prayed everything was put on Him everything you know help me to come to you fill me. Um, let me, my lips overflow with praise, asking God to do everything. There's nothing about what I do. In fact, this wonderful psalm, 176 verses, ends with a confession that, oh man, I blow it all the time, Lord. So, seek me. Come and get me. Rescue me. I haven't forgotten, but I'm just pretty lousy at living it out sometimes. And I love that this psalm ends that way. We're going to move on because we'll talk about that later. But let's let's move. Here we go again. That whole idea of being familiar with God's word in the psalms. And I'm going to say it right now. I love that we have been gifted this beautiful book. But the psalms, the book of psalms, is the one with the divine imprimatur. I'm sorry, but it is. Okay. It's the one we know is officially the prayer book of the church or the hymn book of the church, and I just have to kind of tease. And I have brought many, many books. I brought Jesus Calling because you didn't bring it last week, Phil, and I have these on my Kindle, so I put them out here just so you can see what the book would look like. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Again, Teacher uh, Bonhoeffer teaches us a lot about that day alone, and I've got some other things. But let's, let's just take a minute 
want to hear from you. How, how have you used, or if you don't, why don't you? Let's be honest with one another. Wait, where's the sounds in your toolkit, in your repertoire? Not. But, but not? No. Okay. Well, I've, I have read some. Sure. Okay. But I find it difficult to <clears throat> stay endless or focused on. And I thank you for saying that. And that is, I think, precisely the reason that we've wanted to do several weeks on the Psalms so that we can open that up a little bit for us and be able to mine it. Okay, and then I'll get started. Carol? Um, I think you have opened up the thought of Psalms to this class because every time you, most of the time, open with a Psalm as a prayer. Yeah, I do like And <laughs> so that got me to thinking about it, but I, I do have to confess um, I'm not into it as much, but I'm really looking forward to thinking of the Psalms and also these daily prayers. Well, and you remember, John Bailey says in the beginning that, that this prayer book, he doesn't expect to be the only thing. He expects it to be used along with Scripture. But usually we don't, and there's a lot of Scripture in those prayers. It's like reading Augustine, you hear it. Oh, I know where you're going. I know where you got that line. Okay, I know that's out of Scripture. But he's saying it should be paired. Pastor Phil, you want to say something? Oh, okay. Larry. And then we'll get to Barb. <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say, um, it's interesting in that if you're born and raised in a different... We were born and raised Catholic. Right. Just until 10 years ago, we, never, we didn't spend much time at all in the Old Testament. Forget it. So we weren't exposed to a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. And yet in the liturgy, let me counter that, though. In the Catholic Mass, you hear the Psalms. Usually you're singing it back and forth. Yeah. I love that. We, I it's loved it. today because we got to sing with Haley that refrain that's very typical of a Catholic Mass with a cantor who teaches us the refrain, and then we be cantor, he or she sings the verses, and we respond, yeah. But in, in, a, in a mass, in a divine liturgy that's a full-blown one, we get the psalms. Larry, you wanted to say? Uh, I, I've used them for a long time. When I used to commute to D.C. on the train, I would mm -hmm. memorize them on the train. And now I'm in the routine of I do about a 30-minute workout on the exercise bike every morning, and I recite my songs while I'm on it. And so you don't have to read them. You have them in your whole yeah. boy. And then the right thing is at night, if I'm restless, I can go over them in my mind and clear my mind of whatever's bothering me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a delightful little, uh, you just made me think of that, um, of, of reciting when you're trying to fall asleep. You know, we talk about counting sheep, and years ago we had a puppet team at our former church, and I didn't need it, our deaconess did, but they did a delightful musical, All We Like, No, We Like Sheep, and all the puppets were sheep. And it was just, and this one song was, He Never Falls Asleep Counting Sheep. Because <laughs> he's such a good shepherd. <laughs> but we do, and the Psalms help us. Judy? Um, I remember Psalms being on the required list of our memory work for confirmation. Yep. So that was 12 or 13 years old. And we had, I remember 23, of course. I remember 46. And I remember 121. Those three Psalms, I learned a long time ago. Okay. I got $10 because I was the first one. 
It sure was. Gosh. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. Our, yeah. Our, yeah. Our, our confirmation class, we had to line up on either side of the church by the windows, and each one had to say a, a psalm. Uh-huh. A psalm? Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't have to. We went for three years, and I never did it. Okay, so so we have some familiarity, but I but I'm hearing that maybe just like our team thought, we need to dive into these so we can mind. So let so let's get going today. A drone's eye view, okay, of what we're doing. Got a bird's eye. I'm so happy. And and then next week we will dive into two, maybe three, and 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 go through them. If you were at the men's breakfast, Tara taught on lectio divina, and that is. Uh, kind of the way we will begin to think about utilizing the Psalms next week. So next week, write down into the text today, over the top. Okay, uh, <laughs> only this morning did I see that I have layout and layout of the book. Okay, I cut and pasted and didn't cut. Uh, so we're going to talk about all this, the theology, the layout, types of Psalms, quirks. That's my favorite part, quirks. And then through all that, I think we'll gain an understanding of their historic use. It would be too long, of course, if we tried to do historic use. But let's put the Psalms in their context. And where's my... Uh, a year and a half ago, I think, I decided... I think it was a year and a half ago. I decided I, I, I use the Psalms every, every day that I do my devotions. I use the Psalms. I won't say it's 365 days a year, but most days. But I decided... You know, I, okay, I, I kind of know them in NIV, and I remember them in RSV as a kid learning them, and, and okay, then we looked at ESV, and I thought, I need to go into a, he- it isn't Hebrew, but it's a translation from the Hebrew, because it is the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, okay? T for Torah, God's words to Moses, N for Nevi'im, or the prophets, and K for the writings. And I can't tell what it's done, tell you what it's done for me to read the Old Testament, and that's what I did. I read through the Old Testament, but decided I would use the Psalms from the Hebrew translation as opposed to the Greek translation, which is almost always what our Christian Bibles utilize, coming from the Greek as opposed to the Hebrew. So anyway, so I think we know Torah, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then I you know, just pasted this, I took a picture of my Bible. And so then we get the next part, the end, the prophets, Joshua, Judges, wait, no roof? First and second Samuel, wait, no John. what? Ah, okay, they, in the Hebrew Bible, and remember, our scriptures come from the Hebrew Bible, Jesus had both the Septuagint and the Hebrew Bible, I would assume as God Almighty do them both, okay. But so you see that over here we've got Job after Psalms. Ruth is in the writings, okay. So I'm just trying to let us understand that the Psalms are part of a very special portion of the Hebrew Bible called the writings. And this is going to give us a little hint. They are not history, like we tend to think of it. Now the Jews consider, I I can't go back on this, so we're done with that. Okay. (laughs) If I use that other thing, I could, but I can't ever get this to go back. But for the Jew, the Psalms are part of that ketuvim, 
the writings. In fact, these Psalms, the Ketuvim is many times referred to, the whole list is referred to as the Psalms by Jews. In fact, Jesus does. In Luke 24, I may have put that on our handout, when the road to Emmaus, and he, he breaks the bread, and you know, I, you, you, I want you to know everything that has been written about me in, ah, thank you. <laughs> in, in the law, the Torah, Jesus said, in the prophets, the Nebium, and in the Psalms, it says in Luke 24, the three portions of the Tanakh. Jesus tells us, at least at that point, that's how the Jew considers the book. So that's where the Psalms are. We, if we think about the Psalms, first we'll get to this in a minute. No, we're just going with this. The theology in the Psalms, I had to think about this. I didn't get this from anybody else. Well, the one person. As far as I'm concerned, the the chief value of the Psalms for me is that they're all about my relationship with God. Okay? They are relational. They're about a real conversation with a real God. No holds barred. Okay? And Pastor Keener will get to that on the imprecatory Psalms. But no holds barred. How you feeling today, Claire? You ask me that, I'll say fine. God ask me that, maybe I say. Kind of lousy. You know, there's this, or there's this, or there's that. Or, oh my, the beauty of your creation. You know, they're relational. How am I doing today? And, and how does that relate to God? So they are relational. They are not systematic. They're not like Luther's catechism. They're not narrative like Kings and Samuel and, well, Chronicles is a writing, it's you know, written later. They're not the story of Jesus and here's what he did and here's where he was born and there's his ministry. And the, No, it set his face towards Jerusalem. We heard that today. No. They are, and I think it was my NIV Bible study said, they're confessional and dialogical. Dialogue. dialogue. We already talked about that. But confessional. And I want us to hear that term. I don't believe they meant, oh God, I'm so sorry for my sins. It includes that. But the term confess is like Pastor Frederick said when he said, let us confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Part of that faith is, oh God, I'm a real sinner. Okay? That's because I think, I didn't look it up, but I've always told my kids this, so I hope it was right. To profess means to speak out. You know, to speak out, to go forward with it, or prophecy, speak for God, confess, con, with, con, carnate, you know, con, with, I agree with God. We agree with each other in a confession. And the Psalms are confessional. They proclaim God's wonders and they talk about us like that very last verse. Oh, Lord, I'm always a sheep that's straying. Will you rescue me? You know, that's where we are. And then, and, and this is tough, but when we read the Psalms, we can be certain we are going to come up against black and white binaries. Good, evil. Wickedness, righteousness. Enemy, friend. Okay? 
God, me, we're very different, okay? That's, we're going to get that when we look at the Psalms, and we, we, can't, we shouldn't be surprised about that, okay? And overall, the big binary, like I just said, is every time I read Scripture, and especially in the Psalms, I would all, I would, when, when I was, the kids were in homeschool, we always started with the Bible, and then they had journaling afterwards after the Bible, but we, you know, we read through. But I'd always say, in our discussion, what did you learn about God in this reading? Okay, maybe it was David and Bathsheba. Gosh, how do we, how do we learn about God? Well, we learn what God doesn't like. <laughs> okay, and what did you learn about you? God and me. That's what happens, and that's what we get here in the Psalms. Okay, so the Psalms, the word itself in Greek, we say Psalms, means music with instruments, okay, or songs with instruments, actually songs, words with instruments. The, the Jews don't call it Psalms, they use this term Tehillim, the songs of praise, okay? It's a prayer book, but it's a hymn book. Now, this book has bookends, many, many authors like to say. So get your Bibles out, whatever Bible you got there, Okay, large print or small, or if you need any. So go to Psalm 1, and we're just going to kind of do some paging. Oh, here, paging. Paging through. Let's see if we consider Psalm 1 the introduction, the preface, the author's introduction to this book. Okay? Uh, I've got ESV. Sure. Blessed is the man or the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, read it with me, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Let me stop there and say when it's law, let's think word of God. Not like law, but God's, the Torah. God, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God's law. Okay, let's keep going. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When I was in school, I remember reading. Some, I think it was just a paper, an essay by uh, Dr. Robert Weber, uh, Reverend Doctor. But anyway, he, he was saying how to go about reading a book when you're a serious student. And he said, first, you get the book and you open it up and you look at the table of contents. Kind of gives you an idea where the where the where the author might go. Then you make sure you read the author's preface or introduction, because the author's going to tell you where he or she wants to go. He said, then before you read the book. Read the last chapter. Not like a mystery. Don't read it there. But the last you know, <laughs> philosophy or you know theology. Read the last chapter and see where the author has really gone. Then go back and read the book. Okay, so that's what we're doing. This is the author's introduction, preface to this book of Psalms. What do you think he's telling us there? What do you see? What's this book going to give us? Blessings. Pay attention to what it says because it provides guidance for life. <coughs> right, I heard, and I don't know if they heard you through those microphones. Blessings, <coughs> a way of happiness, and then 
guidance about life. Anything else? What do you see? The law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. How do you hear that, Mike? Do you hear it as law? Or are you yeah. hearing it? Yeah. I hope we can change that a little bit as we look at the Psalms. I hope. I grew up Missouri City Lutheran, and yeah, very much like like Lake Wobegon Lutherans, you know. Um, <laughs> very much hear the, the law like that. But here, when the Jewish text talks about the law, he's talking about God's word, his, which includes his promises, his ways, his wisdom, Torah actually means instruction, but my Tanakh editors tell me, but it is heard by the Jews as, it, it denotes instruction, but connotes wisdom. So hopefully we'll, we'll gain a little perspective on that. Anything else you hear as we read that? Pastor Phil. It seems that as much attention is given to the devastating consequences of the alternative life, as it does to the positive aspects. So the negative is always there. Um, the A reality. Road, yeah, yeah. the road less traveled has benefits, but that wide road is very much depicted here. And that's one of those binaries. We will continue right. to see with God, without God. I remember I loved this teaching when I heard it, and I don't know who it was. It was in a sermon somewhere or a class. I mean, I'm talking 45 years ago. That's why I don't remember who it was. Yeah, at least. And and the the lesson was on Genesis three, the fall. Okay, Um, and but you know, and Satan coming in, the serpent coming in, and and you know, but did God say? And and, you know, what what's this? How can you eat of the tree of? You know, the knowledge of good and evil. And I've always held to this. The teacher said, God defines good. He is perfect goodness. Without God is evil. So, what God desires is by definition good. And that's what we get in the Psalm 1. God, this is what God's saying. You want what's good, stick with me. Because what I don't desire is not going to bring you any happiness. That Athanasius, that those 4th century guys, I can't remember 2nd century, but 4th century guys would talk about, uh, Athanasius would talk about that evil is nothingness. Think about space, how scary that is, you know. Watch the the Martian movie, whoever that is, the Martian guy, the Martian, you know, that that aloneness, that what you know, and that's how evil was thought of in the fourth century by some of our theologians. God is everything good, and to be apart from Him, well, we heard it today. <coughs> apart from you, there's no good thing. We read that that's this morning yeah. in Psalm 16. We'll get to that. Okay, if we've got a little introduction here to the book, now let's go read the last chapter. Okay, let's let's do what Dr. Weber said. Maybe you can get to that. In this one, it's page 585. But wherever. Psalm 150. Okay, let's read it together. Praise, Praise the Lord. Lord. Praise, Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with shouting cymbals. Praise Him with loud flashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Where the Hebrew you? in verse 3 is actually trombone. Is it? <laughs> Maybe trumpets, but not trumpets. We're going to talk about that. Um, okay, so where do you think the book went? Where's it going? Praise. Praise. Joyful. joyful, ecstatic. Well, it's a complete teaching of you stuck with me, and you, <laughs> wow, look what you got. This mm-hmm. is wonderful. That's where we're going, folks, in this book. In fact, our oldest daughter, Sandra Soprano, was uh, when she was in high school, she was in an all-state choir, and I don't remember where we were. It was somewhere in North Jersey, and you know, we'd drop her off in the morning so they'd practice, and then we went that night, and it was fabulous music, orchestral music, choral music, and the concert notes on one of the songs that she was part of the choir, concert notes, they were singing Psalm 150. The concert notes, and I wish I had saved this, said that um, Psalm 150 is the most, are, are the most used lyrics in all of music. Wow. Psalm 150. And even in our hymnals, it's over and over. And, and this is what I love. said, Psalm 147 to 150 are a great crescendo of praise. We don't have time to read all that, but go back to 147. If we had a different version, if they had the NIV, instead of saying praise the Lord, it would say hallelujah. Okay, praise the Lord. And then it's got all this stuff and it's what God does in his creation and how he's done all this. And then 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise, 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 praise. 149, same thing, this crescendo of praise. So if you need a little boost this afternoon, go to 147 to 1. Jim. Sounds to me like the Lord is in charge. Let him take control of your life. That that's what this book. This Ah, 150. Yeah, 150. Okay, why do you say that? What, where's the control? Tell me where you got that. Well, I mean, it's just praise him for his mighty deeds. Yes. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. There's a one song, one, uh, I hate to say it because this goes online. There's one, one of the, a contemporary, not rock contemporary, but in our hymnal from, and who is it? I can't remember, but it's, Loud clashings, test tubes, and uh, I don't like that much. Okay, it's just oh, Lord, a new song. I like the refrain. I just don't like all the test tube stuff. The snowflakes. That's great. Because God gives each one of us a different way of finding joy. So thank you, Debbie, for saying that. Okay, let's move on, though. To Yeah, we need to move on. Okay. Three basic types. <laughs> and I say this because anybody you read will, will say the last. I decided praise, plea, and complaint was pretty good. And I think that was my NIV, tech, but I'm not certain. Um, Luther, let me see. He says there's five types. in. Oh, it's in my Kindle. And I didn't open my Kindle. Um, reading the Psalms with Luther. You get it like this, but 
If I want to read at night, I prefer my Kindle, so that's why. But he says, in the beginning of the book, he says there are five types. Prayer, thanks, instruction, comfort, prophecy. I'll admit, there's no instruction in there. But then in his book, at the end, he's got a chart of Psalms. This is the same book where he said there are five types. He says there are wisdom psalms. He lists them. Messianic royal psalms, individual laments, community laments, imprecatory, individual psalms of praise. He goes on and on. A praise of Zion, praise of creation. He's got about 15 types of psalms. I also recommend this book, the prayer book of the Bible, um, Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, Bonhoeffer. He categorizes them as creation, law, holy history, Messiah, church, guilt, life, suffering, and lament. Okay, so there are many different types. This is, again, not systematic. It's not narrative. It's poetry. There's going to be imagery. There are going to be metaphors. There is going to be instruction. And as far as I'm concerned, the instruction, if we only have three types, would be praise. But let's, let's move on and just dive in a little bit. Okay. Oh, no, you've got this on your handout. Um, here, uh, here, Augustine on why we praise. It's the second, second side. Oh, I didn't number this. I'm sorry, I did I? I forgot to number. So it's not, it doesn't have purplish writing on the top. It's the other side. Augustine on why we praise. From the very beginning of his confessions. Great, and it is a psalm of prayer, but listen to what he says. Great art thou, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is thy power, and infinite is thy wisdom. And man, or humanity, desires to praise thee. For he's part of thy creation. He bears his mortality about with him, and carries the evidence of his sin, and the proof that thou dost resist the proud. Still, even with all that burden, of sin and guilt, that this is what we're like, saint and sinner all in one, still he desires, he, she, we desire to praise thee. This person who is only a small part of thy creation, thou hast prompted him and her that he and she should delight to praise thee. God, Augustine's saying, God's nudging us, we're made to praise and you probably heard this line, it's, it's over and over in his confessions, Every now, it's paraphrased, but over and over. <laughs> for thou hast made us for thyself, and restless is our heart, until it comes to rest in thee. You heard that in Psalm 1, okay? And then we, we, we were ecstatic, Pastor Peter's word, ecstatic praise at the end, well that's because finally, all that burden's gone if we're resting in faith. Luther, from his preface to his commentary on Genesis. My lectures in Genesis I did not undertake with the intention that they be published and advertised. He first just gripes a little bit. But in order that I might serve for a time at our university, as it is at present, and that I might exercise my audience, the classroom, is his uh, students at the university in Wittenberg, that I might exercise them and myself in the word of God, lest I should finish the death of this body in an old age, indolent and entirely useless. 
got you know, he's got to laugh somewhere when you're reading. To this end, Psalm 146.2 awakened and encouraged me. While I live, will I praise Jehovah. I will sing my praises unto my God while I have any being. Uh, now, Luther was an Augustinian monk. Uh, for Augustine, he makes the final turn towards conversion because of Psalm 4. He's just overcome with it. He's off. He's been listening to Ambrose in Milan, and he's, yeah, I think, I think I'm there. I'm not sure. I'm convinced. The Manichaeans and all those other philosophical, religious, pagan things, they don't understand good and evil. The Christians, Ambrose really makes it come clear, but he wasn't ready yet to say, I want to stand up and say I am a Christian. And he's off on a vacation with his best friend and his mother, who's been praying for him for years. Okay, Psalm 4 is nagging away at him. He cannot get it out of his mind. He, at the very end, maybe we can look at it next week, very end says, I'm going back to Milan, and I'm going to go to Ambrose and ask to be baptized. A song. Not a letter of Paul, not Romans, <laughs> not Galatians, not uh, Isaiah 53, okay? <laughs> Psalm 4. Maybe we can look at it next week. Let's move on. So here, on Praise and Thanksgiving, we don't have time to look at Psalm 8, but if you would turn there just real quickly, because it helps us get into... Luther calls Psalm 8... I can't get to this. Psalm 8, a prophecy of Christ. Okay. Um, the, i, I got to read you what, well, this is not this. Okay. What my Tanakh guys say about Psalm 8, what the Jewish commentators say. Five consecutive individual petitions, Psalms 3 through 7, this is their text note on Psalm 8 in the Jewish Tanakh are followed, five, five individual petitions, Psalms 3 to 7, are followed by a hymn, a psalm singing God's praises. This psalm is pure praise. I'm not saying Luther's wrong, it's prophecy also. Okay? And, and Luther says they can be jumbled up, they can be multiple times. And like other hymns from the Bible and the ancient Near East, expresses the religious moment when the individual stands before the deity and appreciates the greatness and power of the divine. I mean, I know you're going to be busy with Psalms 147 to 50 and Psalm 16, because, but this one also, maybe sometime this week, you'd like to look at this and just stand in God's presence. John. I'm not, it's going to sound like I'm saying something against what you're doing, but I'm not. I'm just providing caution here. When you're doing that, when we're doing that, that's probably a good thing. We should bear in mind the people that wrote that commentary do oh. not find Jesus. Oh, of course not. The These are Jews. You're absolutely they right. They do not find him there, and he is all over it. Of course. We know. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And these guys often will say, and Christians say this uh, about something. But you're right. I'm, but I'm just saying, here we have, I loved this introduction to say, you want to know what it's like to say? To be there in the presence of God. 
Join the Psalms in Psalm 8. But thank you. That's absolutely true. Please. And here we're going to go to Psalm 131. If, if there are pleas, and I'm dividing plea into comfort and um, lament and confectory, yeah, comfort and confession, I mean, to ask forgiveness. This one, this is a Rembrandt etching, David in prayer. And so I thought I'd take us to one of David's. Go to Psalm 131. This is the king, King David. King David, this is not the shortest psalm, but it's almost the shortest, okay? He's king. Uh, you know, he's president. He'd be at the G20 or whatever number it is right now. <laughs> he, you know, he got a lot of things on his mind, the economy, uh, you know, everything you can think about for running a country. David is also a warrior king. I mean, you know, listen to what he says. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. A weaned child. First of all, he's using God. The image of God is as a mother. Okay. <clears throat> a weaned child. I nursed our babies. One step, they, when you're the mother, okay, and you get the baby, you know what the baby wants, okay? <laughs> all the time, you know, the face going towards, you know. A weaned child can sit on mom's lap and be content, can be talked to, can be sung to, can get, I once heard, I was at a retreat and a nun talked about stages in our development and one of those is to be weaned, we can go a little bit away from, but always come back to. The king, one of the guys at the G20 saying, okay Lord, this is all too much for me. I need your comfort. And so I'm just going to rest in you. I am, I am, every time I read this one, I go, what do I think I am when I try to figure out how to solve problems? How, you know, and we all have to solve daily problems. Calmed and quieted my soul. I can just rest in you, God, he says. And then, though, he turns it to his country, his community. Oh, Israel, this is what you need to do. Oh, oh, community of faith, a king of glory, this is what we need to do, is rest in him. Having already received the milk, and now we're on to solid food, okay, we can rest in him. That's one type of song. A confession meaning I've sinned. Okay, David, you are the man. And this says, uh, don't commit, I guess, adultery. But that's Nathan. You could also look that up later. But here, this is the psalm we know. You know that, that I've sinned against you and you only. Psalm 51. We don't have time to go into it today. Maybe we can look at it next week. But I'm not convinced. 
Next week, we will definitely look at Psalm 13, if you want to look at that ahead of time. Uh, how long, oh Lord? Oh man, come on. How long are you? That is, this is one of my prayers right now for a dear friend who is just declining, declining, declining. And there's family fighting between the daughter and the son about what to do with dad. And he's a brilliant guy. What has he got? He's got a, a PhD, a doctorate of math. I think First, he's got three different doctors. Yeah, and yeah. physics, and mm-hmm. he was a Bell Labs star uh, researcher, and now, oh gosh, and, and so now, I don't tell him I'm praying this, but I do write this to the family, how long, oh Lord. You know, and so we'll go into lament next week. After that complaint, Pastor Keener's going to take us into imprecatory, and that's, and I'm wrong about that, so it's one of those dates, I guess, July 21st. 21st, not the 14th, Okay. Okay, yeah. And after we have those, then I believe Pastor Stano's in with the Lord's Prayer. That's right. Okay. Okay, the authors. We don't have time, but if you page through between now and next week, you'll see lots of different authors. The first book, Psalms 1 to 41, are all attributed to David, although in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that community, Qumran, said David wrote 3,600 Psalms. Um, until, and it was like the second century BC, they finally, dis- the, the Jewish Tanakh finally had a list of which Psalms, 1 to 150, they numbered sometimes a little differently. But the, until that time, the psalm, there might be different ones in there. Okay, and then finally, like our canon, took until about the third, fourth century to decide which books are really going to go in. So we have that, but we're going <laughs> to. Do you say He-Man? I don't know. Hemon, Ethan. I mean, my kids always love to get to that part in Chronicles to hear about He-Man. Okay. And in fact, in fact, now I always get confused now because Chronicles is towards the end. First Chronicles, is it First Chronicles? No, Second Chronicles. No, First Chronicles 15. I have to read you this. This is this is for Pastor. Mm-hmm. First Chronicles 15. Okay. 15, 19. Yeah. The singers, I'm going to call them He-Man, like my boys did. Uh, He-Man, Asaph, and Ethan were to sound brass cymbals. Okay, a bunch of other guys were to play harps. Um, Somebody else was to lead with lyres, and somebody else was going to direct the music. And then in 16, same thing, we get Asaph was the chief of these Levites who were directing the choir and the band, praise band. Okay, um, they played harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benai and Jehazel were to blow trumpets. <laughs> okay, before the ark. So we get all sorts of instrumentation. But several, we, we don't have time to look at this, but I think they're. Um, so the, this is not the psalm number, it's the number of psalms attributed to. So to Solomon, it's 72, and I can't remember, 89 or something. But we will look more next week at that. Quirks, and I'm, one of the quirks is, I need to learn to always do a two-sided slide if I'm going to do this. Uncertain history, yeah, we, it took second century BC for them to finally, for the Jews to decide which psalms were going to be in there. Uh, we heard, you know, real talk, and yeah, we talked about that. We're going to be tunes. Let's look at your handout. I can find a handout. Tunes. Okay. Um, oh, wait. Uh, uncertain history. I say Egeria. 
she, fourth century woman, maybe nun kind of person or something, but anyway, not, not really a nun, but uh, did a big, long, year-long pilgrimage. And everywhere she goes, I mean, she went to Sinai, Mount Nebo. She, she's headed towards Jerusalem. She's all over the Mideast visiting Christians who are worshiping. And everywhere she goes, and this is just typical, so I put it on your handout, uh, under uncertain history, she says, at this one point, she's near a spring of water near, near Mount Nebo. She says, once again, as in every other place, we prayed. Want to know what the Christians did in the 4th century when they got together? They prayed, they read from scripture, and by the 4th century, that would include the New Testament, sang a psalm fitting to the occasion, and did all the other things which it was our custom to do on coming to some holy spot. <coughs> Everywhere she gets to Jerusalem, she's saying, they sing the same songs we do on this day or that day. She spends a long time, she spends all of Lent in, um, in Jerusalem. So she says that. So anyway, we, in the Psalms, though, if you open the Bible, okay, um, for Psalm 8, we were just there, and this one says, for the leader on the Giddeth, and um, that <laughs> almost every time you get one of those words, shigeon, make Tom, that Pastor Fraley talked about that, but almost every Bible will, the note will say a literary or musical term. We do not know, basically. Okay, <laughs> there are many, many, but we get tunes. We get, oh, where is it? Um, a wedding song. Don't, did I put these in here? No, I didn't. Oh, did I? Yes, 45. Thank you. What, what does yours say at the top of 45? A mascal, a love song, or a wedding song. There's a Sabbath songs. There are, some of the tunes are the lilies, a doe on the something, fields or something like that. These are definitely musical instructions, okay? The one I didn't put there, and I should have, was when you get to a Selah, out, and I'm looking at 44, because that's where I happen to be. If you're at Psalm 44, you go through six verses, no, nine verses, and off to the left, off to the right, sorry, Selah. Okay, and again, most commentators say we don't know, but we think it means... Yeah, be quiet and just ponder. Like NPR, I don't know if they still do it. They used to. And NPR's, oh, whatever, you know, the name of the um, news shows. They would give a story, and at the end, one of the news story, but at the end you'd get 10, 10, maybe 12, 15 seconds of some quiet music. Yeah. I don't know if they still do that. I, I don't feel like they do anymore, but I love that. It was like, Okay, you just heard this story about things going on in the Mideast, and then usually then they pick some music that would, you know, sound Middle Eastern and kind of let, let, it, let it sink in. Or whatever the topic was, the economy or whatever, there would be some music afterwards to give us a chance to think. And I think that's what Salem means. So we'll do that next week when we get there. And you can try that too. We have three minutes, so we better hurry up. So what? My... My so what is, uh, and I'm going to make, so make 
this very personal. I am in relationship with God, and I, I hope, you know, we are all saying, I am in relationship with God. We all say that. I'm here. I'm your child, Lord. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And we've got a book that does it. Okay? Um, both Augustine and Luther used the Psalms. Luther didn't start with Romans and Galatians. His first lectures were on Psalms. He wrote six, six commentaries on Psalms. Six versions, okay? And, and Augustine wrote many versions too. Relied on them, both these men, relied on the Psalms for their personal devotional life. Athanasius, same time as Augustine, the words of the, in the words of this book, all human life is covered. Okay, we go again. Five volumes of lectures, sorry, not six. Okay, three reasons Luther gives to, do, to read the Psalms. The Psalter ought to be a dear and beloved book, if only because it promises Christ's death. He always reads the Psalms Christologically, yes. absolutely, which John was bringing us to, reading them Christologically. And resurrection so clearly and so depicts his kingdom and the condition and nature of all Christendom that we may call this a little Bible. Most beautifully and briefly, it embraces everything. Does he mean this? Everything? Yes, he means it. Everything in the entire Bible. It is made into a fine and Caridian or handbook. So, a handbook for the Bible. Another, uh, Athanasius agrees. He was told by an older man once about the Psalter. Son, all the books of Scripture, both Old Testament and New, are inspired by God and useful for in instruction. You can hear Paul's letter to Timothy there, as the Apostle says. But to those who really study it, the Psalter yields a special treasure. Each book has, of course, its own particular message. But all the subjects mentioned, again, all the subjects mentioned, in the historical and prophetic books, the whole Bible, are mentioned in one psalm or another. Therefore, what? Therefore, did we go ahead? Yeah, there, oh, it's supposed to say three, I think. Therefore, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit wanted to take all the trouble of compiling a short Bible and book, so if you don't have time to read the big one, okay, he's saying... All of it's in the skinny little one, if you don't have time, folks. So that's a number two. And the third one, the Psalter is a book of all saints. It's about all of us. And everyone, whether his situa whatever his situation may be, finds psalms and words in it that fit his or her situation and apply to his or her case so exactly that it seems they are put there just for you. You know, sometimes when pastors talk about somebody coming up and saying, man, you were talking right to, you know, what, what, how do you know? And that's what the Psalms are doing. So that's, and I think it's Athanasius here. Athanasius agrees. Elsewhere in the Bible, you read only that the law commands this or that to be done, like you're hearing, Mike. You know, you listen to the prophets to learn about the Savior's coming, or you turn to the historical books to learn the doings of the kings and holy men. But in the Psalter, Besides all these things, you learn about yourself. The Holy Spirit, as a counselor, whoa. For me, the book of Psalms is my counselor. 
Because this is Jesus. These are Jesus' words, okay? Augustine also says, and this, this, this is so king of glory, the fulfillment in the end of all holy scriptures, and he's including the Psalms, is the love of God and of our neighbor. So that's, that's, I'm going to take an, may I take an extra minute or two? This, I love this. This is like Bailey saying, hey, it's not just this, these prayers. Listen to what Luther says. He, he published five, did it say five commentaries and six books of the Psalms? If anyone is pleased with my poor assistance by these summaries, and that's in this, the reading, reading the Psalms of Luther. I ask that he not insert them into the Psalter, which this book, reading the Psalms with Luther, does. <laughs> okay, between the Psalms, I prefer to see the text stand by itself, unmixed with anything else. Some of these summaries are really brief commentary, and it would not be proper to place in the middle of the text. These summaries would be larger than the Psalms themselves. <laughs> with this, may God bless you. And he, then they publish it, you know, with, with this. Okay on other devotional prayers. In many churches, this is Luther, Bonhoeffer's quoting Luther. I can't find the, the record. This is Bonhoeffer telling about Luther. In many churches, the psalms are read or sung every Sunday or even daily in succession. These churches have preserved a priceless treasure. This is Bonhoeffer's. For only with daily use does one appropriate this divine prayer book, the psalms. When read only occasionally, these prayers are too overwhelming in design and power and tend to turn us back to more palatable fear. But whoever has begun to pray the Psalter seriously and regularly, this is still Bonhoeffer, will soon give a vacation to other little devotional prayers and say with Luther, Ah! There's not the juice, the strength, the passion, the fire, which I find in the Psalter. It tastes too cold and too hard. And he's talking about other prayer books. He wants the juice, not cold, cold and hard. This is not to say we shouldn't utilize other helpers, but the psalm, the book of psalms is here as part of our tool book, toolkit. Um, gosh, I can't, I don't remember now where the whole quote from Bonhoeffer is. I, mean, I think I want to hear it. Hold on with me. In the ancient church, this is Bonhoeffer, it was not unusual, he just talked about this, to memorize the entire David, the whole Psalms. In one of the Eastern churches, there was a prerequisite. This was the prerequisite for the pastoral office. The church father, Jerome, says that one heard the Psalms being sung in the fields and gardens of his time. The Psalter, this is again Bonhoeffer, impregnated the life of early Christianity. Remember, the earliest Christians didn't have the New Testament. So they used Isaiah, and they used the Psalms primarily. Yet more important than all of this is the fact that Jesus died on the cross with the words of the Psalter on his lips. That, that's enough <laughs> persuasion for me. That's enough persuasion for me that if the Son of God himself steeped his devotional life with the Psalms, I probably ought to also, and I'm encouraging us to. So, 
Let's pray. Listen, we often hear a pastor say this before sermon, but I think this one really gets going out the door, too. So if you would pray this with me. May the words words of my mouth and and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you. The parts that we didn't get to, the quirks and stuff, because we didn't talk about acrostics, we didn't talk about some of these things, we'll talk about that next week. But next week, we dive, We begin several weeks of diving into Psalms themselves. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.